Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Conduit Transportation Podcast. I'm your host, Ken Filmus, Senior Director of Global Business Development for Conduit Transportation, and we're excited to kick off this all-new series to discuss the business of transportation, infrastructure and mobility, and what the future may hold. We have a lot to cover in our first episode, as we'll be talking about the state of urban mobility, the trends impacting cities and states, and what governments can do to embrace these changes. We'll dissect some of the challenges with today's transportation systems and discuss some real-world pragmatic solutions to powering today's mobility. In my role as Senior Director of Transportation Solutions at Conduent, I focus primarily on tolling, user fee, technology implementation, and back office operation and administration for many of the largest toll agencies in the United States. I do also get involved in Conduit's other transportation lines of business where I can be helpful. Prior to Conduent, I was the National Director of Toll Services for AECOM Transportation and also previously held the position of Director of Tunnels, Bridges, and Bus Terminals for the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey. I've also served on or continue to serve on the boards of many regional and national transportation associations, including the International Bridge Tunnel and Turnpike Association, ITS America, and the ITS World Congress. All in all, I've worked in transportation industry for over 46 years. In this episode, we'll take a deep dive into the customer experience of urban travel survey, which is a global conduit transportation research project designed to gain a better understanding of how people choose to travel and how it makes them feel. We'll also discuss some of the most important transportation news, share statistics you need to know, and have an open discussion with my industry colleagues going forward. I'm very excited and hope you are too. So let's get started with our urban mobility discussion. So let's be frank. Transportation in the United States is key to the quality of all our lives, as well as the economic vitality of our regions and our country. But it surely can be challenging and difficult, especially in growing urban environments. When you combine an aging infrastructure with the perception that transit systems are uncomfortable when compared to a car and require the traveler to meet its route and schedules, this, coupled with headlines of increasing congestion, you end up with major issues that can negatively impact a region's economic vitality and general functionality. Urban mobility is far from hassle-free, and if there's any potential resolution stemming from autonomous vehicles, most agree that it is still many years away from true integration. We need reliable and flexible solutions today to create a more seamless, reliable, efficient, and comfortable travel experience that maximizes overall mobility through the right mix of modes and service. Joining me to discuss just what those might look like are Dr. Tim Lomax of the Texas A&M Transportation Institute and Jack Opiola of D'Artagnan Consulting. I'd like them to introduce themselves to you personally. Tim, why don't you go first? I'm Tim Lomax. I'm a Regents Fellow at the Texas A&M Transportation Institute. Most of my research has been around urban congestion, urban mobility issues, more specifically performance measurement, um, but I've also looked into some conceptual designs and transportation operations programs in a variety of places, looked at how you can organize communication programs around very complicated data. Jack? I'm Jack Opiola. I lead D'Artagnan Consulting in our worldwide efforts in policy, strategic program planning, and implementation consultancy support for road user charging and intelligent transport systems. I've got 35 years experience in creating national, state, and regional policies for transportation funding and integrated mobility with value-added ITS applications. All right. Thanks, guys. So let's get started. To tackle the total problem of urban mobility, I'd like us to first examine why so many people still often use their cars to get in and out of cities. According to our survey, people around the globe chose driving their own car over other modes of transport for reasons of comfort at 54%, ease of access at 47%, and reliability at 39%. Why do you think that is? Tim, why don't you go first? 
I think people are really pretty rational. For a lot of people, driving in your car is pretty comfortable. It's reliable. You can get where you're going relatively easily. You've got your own comfy seats and stereo. Uh, you've got your own thermostat. And when you get there, free parking is available in a lot of locations. Gas is relatively cheap, so the travel's relatively inexpensive. If you think about it, the alternative or, or the downside is you got to sit in traffic congestion, and that's going to affect your travel time reliability. But on the other hand, if you're in a bus, that's going to get stuck in the same amount of traffic. And if you think about all the ways we have to communicate about what's going on with the system, you've got a lot better traveler information. And if you're in your car, you can take a different route or travel at a different time and avoid the traffic congestion. Jack, what do you think? Ken, I think there's multiple reasons. Firstly, people see the car trip as the least expensive way to travel. It certainly is the most direct and the easiest to plan and control, at least the amount of journey time, and it is the most comfortable. As Tim pointed out, people have their own stereos, they're in comfortable seats, it's heated to a temperature that they like or air conditioned to a temperature that they like. So it is very comfortable and it's very reliable. Transport economists will challenge some of these points and try to point to the true cost of travel, prorated costs for maintenance, insurance, fuel costs that you fill up the tank, but you actually are using it over the trip. You know, all of those costs really don't hold in the mind of the commuter because all they see is their out-of-pocket costs and these lump sum payments don't enter into their mindset. Secondly, rather than public transport, you know, I don't have to go someplace to start my journey. I walk out into my garage and immediately get into my car. I don't have to stand around for an unknown period of time waiting for the bus or the tram to arrive. Once I get on it, I'm not guaranteed a seat, and I may have to make a half a dozen stops or a dozen stops that I don't want to make to get from where I'm going to where I want to be. So there are a lot of things that enter into disbenefits in public transport that we have to overcome to make it more comfortable and make it more friendly to the public. Those were all good points, and it's interesting how people don't always understand their true cost of driving. But driving is the mode of transportation that's most associated with frequent and unplanned delays. And in our survey, we found that nearly 40% of all respondents reported negative feelings about traveling in and around their city. And this includes 23% who felt stressed and another 16% who feel frustrated. What do you think is the reason for this, despite the general availability of significant public transportation options in uh, cities around the country? Jack? Well... Ken, I think those delays need to be better defined. In cities like Bangkok, Tokyo, London, Beijing, the congestion is in the city center and it's difficult to get around the core of the city. But in the U.S., because of our urban sprawl, much of the congestion you've identified is on the collector feeds or cordons into the city. Recent projects to add express lanes or hot lanes or managed lanes, whatever you want to call them, are now adding capacity, but at a price. You have to pay to be in them, just like you have to pay for any express service. I think this closeted supply-side economic approach, as I like to call it, can work. We just haven't taken it fully into consideration. Projects like the reversible elevated expressway in Tampa is a great example of this. Other examples are found in Tokyo or Paris, making the road infrastructure three-dimensional. Surface level, elevated drives or expressways, underground tunnels to take you midway point that you can exit and get out at where you're going. Certainly, our collector roads and major cordons into our city need to seriously address express lanes and multidimensional approaches. In many ways, poor engineering design and a lack of imaginative thinking is the cause of this, and we need to do better at it because it is a big issue in the United States. Hmm. Tim, what do you think? 
I think really, if you look at the numbers, transit isn't really that easily available for a lot of people. That shows up in the fact that one out of every three trips in the U.S. are in one region, New York City. The other two out of every three trips are spread out across the rest of the 300 million people. But if you think about what those folks are facing, they're traveling in many cases with kids, they're doing multiple things along those trips, they're traveling to jobs that are in suburban office parks that don't have very good transit service. It's not hard to understand why they're having a difficult time using transit. It may be that they have easier approaches to use transit, but in many cases, the perception is there that transit's a difficult mode to use. Yeah, a, a, both of you make some really good points. Uh, I, I, I'm particularly struck by the uh, point that in the availability of transit and the level and type of congestion may be really quite different from city to city. Having grown up in the New York City area, I have that bent toward public transit and what the impact is uh, in, in, in New York. But it's it, it, it seems as if people today are often just in a routine that feels most comfortable and they aren't necessarily taking into full account their the full travel choices that they take that may not always be the best for either their own personal commutes and surely for their communities as a whole. I don't think too many people really think about that broader issue. But but are these choices really irrational? Is there really a problem with a preference for cars? Uh, our study showed that 70% of global respondents would be more likely to use public transportation if they had a faster journey time. Do you guys agree with that? What's the, what's the real problem here? I don't know that the survey as it's presented where you have to pick out of a laundry list a single factor is exactly what happens. I think it's a much more complex relationship than a single selection from a multiple choice of factors such as comfort, reliability, or cost. Maybe it's missing one of the, a slot that says all of the above because I think it is a complex decision and I think a lot of people do run through it in their mind, although many people just habitize and do the same thing day in and day out. But if you have another application, I mean, we have a piece, we have a, a vision of that in our navigation or GPS positioning systems that give you or show you choices of travel. That's a start, but I think that some of the newer applications that I've seen out there that are on people's smartphones are much better. In our recent California road charging test, we presented choices like that for trips to people inside their vehicles, and it went over very big. People liked it. There was also a gamification to the apps that awarded medals for the greenest or the most fuel-efficient eco-driving. In some cases, a demerit badge for making an unnecessarily short trip. So these types of feedbacks, I think, are important in giving people the choice and then rating that choice. It certainly has a, a, a great deal to do with the selection they make and possibly future trip behavior. From the data that I've seen, if we save people time and money and we give them a more reliable travel time, people really will choose public transit. The problem is we have fewer corridors that we can provide that. If I look around at our big cities in Texas, you know, we have a reputation for having cars and pickup trucks and loving them, loving to drive them, but there are... Uh, many places, uh, for example, Houston, that have bus and carpool lanes into downtown. The mode share for buses and carpools for areas that are served by those lanes is something like 40 or 50 percent. So we're getting people to stand in line in Houston heat and humidity to get on a bus. But the alternative is to drive by yourself, have a really long travel time in your car. You wind up somewhere that uh, in some cases you have to pay to park. In other cases, it's just difficult to find a place to park. And for those kinds of markets, transit is really very competitive. And you can get people who you would think normally would not be transit riders to take a bus or pair up in a carpool. 
Interesting. So, you know, the, when people have the chance of multi-modes, you know, they'll 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 uh, take what's best for them personally. And I guess we have to somehow begin to think about, you know, how that all fits into the broader issue of what's best for the community, too. Well, let, let's get on to another topic. Tim and Jack, now that we've talked about the state of urban mobility, let's tackle the big issue. How do you go about fixing it? Besides the obvious issues of ensuring enough funding for infrastructure improvements, here at Conduent, we see the core issue being that one person's preferred choice isn't necessarily the ideal solution for making overall mobility smarter, more coordinated, let's say safer and efficient for the collective good. You know, people focus individually, not necessarily in the broad sense. And when you put it all together, it doesn't necessarily work best for a city environment. So how, how can we leverage uh, people's preferences by combining them with the guidance of, say, trip planning apps? I know, Jack, you talked about them already a little bit. Essentially, is the problem that we need to make alternative options as easy and perceived to be as predictable to use as a car, since you know, we all seem to agree that you know, the, the, that's the, the basis for why people like using the car? Is the fix as simple as working collectively with city planners and municipalities and other vendors to pinpoint exactly how and when people want to use other modes of transportation? Tim, what do you think? Yeah, I think I'm going to have to reject your premise here. I think working with city planners and elected officials isn't really all that easy. Uh, some of the solution, obviously, is to better understand why people travel to and from and around the way they do. For many people, that home location really isn't determined by traffic congestion. It's determined by where are the good schools, where are nice parks. My parents live someplace relatively close and they need access to me or my spouse. Is one spouse's job closer to where we live and the other spouse has to take a longer trip? Certainly some of the solution is better connections and more awareness of options. Apps can certainly play a role. Uh, we can use them not only to provide information, but also maybe to entice people or push people to think about new paths and modes. Maybe an app could connect up to my calendar and my trip planner, and maybe my phone wakes up 10 minutes before I do. It goes out and looks at my calendar for the day, what the traffic is looking like, what the weather's looking like, are there special events in town? And if I'm going to have just a boring day in the office and nothing pressing after work, maybe my phone says, hey, why don't you take the bus or I can match you up with a carpool partner. I know you've been feeling guilty about not taking transit. I've downloaded a new Planet Money podcast for you and the Starbucks at the Transit Center has a special on margarita lattes or whatever. So now I've got the system operations person have a way to get to you that's not just you being passive and selecting an option. It's me being able to push you to try some new travel modes. Jack, what do you think? Uh, Ken, I, I think the answer is yes. Tim hints at this, the fact that these apps will be useless unless we do away with transportation stovepipes or chimneys we've built over the centuries. We have to open up the information. We have to truly integrate and open up the data on all modes and make them transparent and available to the applications and the application developers to flourish. We have to build an open network of transportation information and connect everything to it to get near real-time updates to help fix the urban mobility problem and to basically take the pain points out. Good apps in a transparent environment can do that. Good apps in a stovepiped environment won't. I see a great deal of effort to improve individual modes of transport within the mode, but the real solution, I think, is to integrate all this data and information into a comprehensive solution. Unfortunately, it's not there yet. There's still too much competition between modes of transport. Buses competing with taxis. Taxis are competing with cars. 
you know, we got to get out of that mindset and see that it's the holistic solution that's going to work. And we're getting there slowly, but it's, it is going to take a collaborative effort with public and private efforts to realize it. And I think government's big part isn't necessarily to do it or to put more money into the buses, but it's to make all transportation information open and accessible to those people who are building the future apps and break down the silos of this separate and protected information that we have out there today. So uh, both of you, and, and I agree as well, that apps you know, certainly play a, a, a great role. And of course, the, uh, the multimodal solution, Jack, that you just talked about seems to make the most sense. But uh, and, and that agrees, and, and we agree with what our survey found, where 77% of our survey respondents said they use some kind of a device to plan their journey. So is the digital revolution the key to success? I don't think the key here is to look for a solution or an app. I think it's really about using communication technology as one of the keys. Certainly we've got in-car technologies and roadside safety devices and autonomous vehicles ultimately are going to be able to help people be safer on their travel. It can also provide them with a lot more information about different routes or different modes uh, even. Certainly, we've got the ability to not just try different roads to work or different times to travel, but also different ways to maybe work at home some of the time. Perhaps some of our information technology could be used to help our boss get more comfortable with us working at home and beginning having the digital revolution be the start of a much more diverse set of commuting options. You know, comprehensive apps on the current generation of smartphones and with some of the new in-vehicle technology that links the smart the smartphone into the vehicle display can help present all those multiple options and update information about what's happening around you in near real time. If you need to park your car, it can tell you where there's a car park. If you have to turn around and transfer to get a ticket, it can prearrange the ticket for you. It could also look at, if it has a history of information or a data pool of information, it can look at what your habits are and possibly suggest alternatives. And all of that, I think, goes a long way to reduce the pain or reduce the hesitancy to get out of your car and try a different approach. These innovative apps are cropping up everywhere. I mean, it's very big right now in Finland. England's taken on it. Other countries around the world are doing it. And in places here in the U.S., we're doing it. I, I just wonder sometimes if we don't have to be careful what we wish for, because some of these apps, um, I think in some ways, are going to be the kryptonite to public transport. And what I mean by that is that public transport trips and with these apps, I think it's going to usher in more ride sharing. So having things like Uber, Lyft, uh, I just saw a new one today that's cropping up, uh, Chariot and uh, Texas. These rideshare vehicles or pooled rideshare vehicles where it's it's picking up multiple people and dropping them off are certainly the way it's uh, a, a wave of the future. There was a study recently in Portugal that suggested that this, these multiple passenger rideshare vans can work better than the cars, buses, trams, underground rail, and above light rail that's in the city today. Reduce congestion and get people from A to B faster. This is pretty exciting stuff, and it may be the harbinger of the future transport system, um, and especially here in the U.S., where we are car-centric and generally have poor to mediocre public transport services. 
That's a really key point because up to now, we used the word silos a couple of time and times. And not only do the modes work in silos, but the public agencies in the regions work in silos. And I think we're really on the cusp of some change. I think that, you know, from, from uh, this discussion and from the survey that we, we, we did, it's pretty, it's pretty clear there's no hard and fast rules. And if we're going to really make an impact on overall mobility in our urban areas, ultimately, it's about tying together the various modes and whether it's through technology or, or through other other means, it, it seems to be the, the future. Uh, we, we ultimately, we don't only need to shift people's behavior, but we also need to work with cities to increase the capacity of existing infrastructure at the lowest cost possible, but focus on lowest cost from the point of view of multimodal. I think that's really where the future lies. I know within Conduent, we think we can accomplish this to some extent with services that harness the power of analytics. You know, we've been working on that through data analytics, text and video, and then encourage that end-to-end multimodal travel beyond those typical silos that directly respond to what the analytics tell us. Um, I think uh, it's about time to start wrapping it up. Tim and Jack, do you have any last thoughts? Jack, you want to go first? Sure, Ken. I mean, I agree with your last comments. None of us have crystal balls to see exactly what's going to happen in, in this transportation reform or transformation that's taking place around us today. However, I do believe that electric vehicles, ride sharing, autonomous vehicles, and mobility as a service will be the four big trends that will transform urban travel in the next 25 years as they all play out. The interaction of these trends are just now beginning to be understood. And I think that the biggest factor, though, that we have to include is transportation funding. You know, our current system relies on gas taxes or taxing consumption of fuel. And that's a very slippery slope. In a lot of ways, sticking to it is the path to failure. Because without funding, none of the approaches that we talked about are going to happen. I mean, it does take funding, and cities and transportation organizations today are going bankrupt because we can't fund them enough with uh, revenues because of this decreasing revenue stream of gas taxes. And that, that's particularly, as you said, the, four, the first uh, item you mentioned of the four items that are going to uh, really affect the future, electric vehicles, and uh, certainly our gas tax is not structured in any way to deal with the explosive growth I think we're all going to see in electric vehicles. Tim, you have any closing words? I can't disagree with anything Jack said. I really like all of that. I would also point out that we've got some basic operations work to do. We've got to make sure that we're uh, timing the traffic signals really well so that people get to green lights more often, that we're clearing the crashes and stalled vehicles as rapidly as we can. We've aligned our operations equipment and staffing with the, po- the right policies that help us do all of that sort of basic blocking and tackling of uh, traffic congestion and mobility provision. That then sets us up for a much better conversation about when are you traveling, where are you trying to get to, maybe there's a different mode or a different route that we can help you get to. All of those are ways that we show that we're getting the best bang for the buck out of the system, and then we start building on that uh, out into the future. Well, Tim and Jack, thanks for a really uh, interesting discussion. Uh, if, 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 if there's any conclusion to be drawn is that the future is really uh, something we, 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 I think you, Jack, you used the word, we don't have crystal balls. There's, there's so many, there, there's so much uh, um, things happening so quickly and so fast. And where we go from here, we need to all stay on our toes and be prepared to do our best to deal with them uh, uh, as we go forward. Uh, in closing, I'd like to thank uh, all of you again out there for tuning into this Conduent uh, Transportation Podcast. You can find the survey results that we've talked about here today at www.conduit.com transportation. And please don't forget to subscribe for the next episode 
episodes in our series. And make sure to follow Conduit on social media to stay up to date with all the latest transportation news and insights. And finally, I'd simply like to thank Dr. Tim Lomax and Jack Opiola for our spirited discussion. It's uh, always a pleasure working with you guys. I'm Ken Filmis for Conduit Transportation Services. Take care.